You can fuck Al Pacino's wife, but you can't watch his TV. This is spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> very angry, Ralph. You know, you can ball my wife if she wants you to. You can lounge around here on her sofa, but you do not get to watch my fucking television set. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Spoilers. This week, we're spoiling the 1995 smash hit Heat, uh, starring Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and Skinny Val Kilmer, friend of the show. Uh, this week we have smash on smash hit, <laughs> smash hit. We have on a couple of guests. Uh, I'm going to let them go around and introduce themselves. And for the opening question, we're going to do uh, what a uh, like TV series or Netflix series have you kind of been watching recently? What have you been into? Uh, start off with Josh. Hey guys, this is Josh. I'm recording in Goshen, Indiana. I'm a little bit behind the ball on this one, but I just started Netflix's new House of Cards series. I've heard it's a little boring. I don't know what to expect this season, but um, I'm one episode in. Ooh. I've never watched House of Cards. Is it good? Really? It's weird. No, it's like one of those. It's kind of like The Sopranos to me. People always told me to like watch The Sopranos, and I miss my window, and I'm never going to watch that show. I would say Sopranos. You should. Yeah, you might want to watch both of those shows. The thing about House of Cards <laughs> that's crazy about it is if it's like very meticulous, and if you. If any part of it gets pulled out, it'll all come crashing down like a house of cards. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, political soap opera. <laughs> that was deep. That was really deep. It was fake deep. <laughs> it is a political soap opera, but Kevin Spacey makes it coo. <laughs> no, I, Josh, I, I just finished season five. I actually thought that season four was more boring than this one, but it is... It can be slow. I don't know. The first like season and a half, two seasons were so good. Yeah, that sh- it may have ju- jumped the shark, but I'm sticking with it for now. Yeah, for sure. This is uh, Stevie recording from Elkhart, Indiana. And it's not a show, but I'm watching it on Netflix right now. It's a Broadway play um, put on by John Mulaney and Nick Kroll called Oh Hello. And it is absolutely one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Uh, they play these two old... Very Jewish, like Upper West Side New Yorkers, trying easy, to put on their own Broadway easy, play. Easy. They are. They they talk. They talk about it. Um, but uh, it's absolutely hilarious. I definitely advise anyone who enjoys comedy to check that out. Huh. I haven't even heard of that one yet. Neither did I until I watched an interview with Nick Kroll today, and it's on Netflix and absolutely hilarious. <laughs> nice, money. How about you? Uh, yeah, this is Mikey. I'm recording from Elkhart. Uh, I haven't really been watching anything. Lately, uh, just trying to catch up on old stuff that I missed. Uh, like I finished. What old stuff? Uh, I finally watched Westworld and stuff like that from last year. But wait, do you like it? Because I think me and Drew thought that you would hate it, and Stevie thought you would like it. Uh, I enjoyed it. It's a lot like Lost, but like with a Western background. Super slow. Yeah. Slow burn that show is. Before we move on, though, I think we should address the fact that the day we're recording this on happens to be someone's uh, very first wedding anniversary. Yeah, yeah. 
Me and my wife Lauren got married exactly a year ago today. Burp, burp. Super fun. How's that cake taste? We're gonna eat it after uh, we record, and um, I'm super nervous, but also very intrigued in what a cake ah. will taste like a year, like after a year it's been in the freezer. I thought we were gonna get like a a newsbreaker live cake eating ceremony on the no, show. No, there today. won't be any live news breaking. <sighs> uh, any live food poisoning. But uh, I'm pumped I made it a year because as uh, as the father of the longs once told me the day of my wedding, I really outkicked my coverage. So <laughs> I made it a year. I think he may have gotten that line from a few dollars more or maybe it was Josie <laughs> Wales or <laughs> Fistful of Dynamite. <laughs> I kind of wish he just would have said Daku Saka and walked away. <laughs> Well, congratulations, Stevie. We're all happy Thank for you. you. If I had a train whistle, Jordan, I would blow it. <laughs> One year, Stevie. Yay! Maybe, congrats, Stevie. Maybe you can give us some, uh, give us that recorded sound of you eating that cake, and we'll put it in the math teacher Mark math paper spot. Just I can do that. That's actually, that's actually a really good idea. <laughs> Congrats, Stevie. Uh, and then this is uh, Jordan recording from North Carolina. Uh, I just finished House of Cards, and I actually recently started watching a Netflix show called Frontier with uh, Jason Momoa, I guess is how you'd pronounce his name. He's Aquaman in like the new whatever universe. No, he's the, no, he's the Cal. He's the what? He's the guy from Baywatch. Cal Drogo from Game of Thrones. He's also... Cal Drogo and Stevie from Baywatch. He was in the new Baywatch movie. He was in the old Baywatch show. No shit. Yeah. Well, think about how big his boobs are. Of course, he's in it. Oh, yeah, I don't think he was. I think he was like a child in that. I think he was like a teenager. In Never, that mind. Show. Yeah, Never mind. Never mind. Moving right along. Anyways, <laughs> but no, I've, I'm like five episodes in. It's like a period piece. Um, Aquaman is like a. <laughs> Native American Cal- trying to protect the I feel like I feel like Pappy would like it. He would <laughs> I tried watching show. that show. I got super sleepy. Oh, I, I, I get pretty sleepy as well, but it's it's okay. I got a few episodes in and it's all right. Um all right. So this week we're discussing the movie Heat from nineteen ninety five, uh starring Al Pacino, Robert Hoo-ha! Robert De Niro, Val Kilmer, John Voigt, Ashley Judd, and a young, young Natalie Portman. Um, That's just the name of few. Just the name. Can't forget of President few. Palmer from Twenty Four. President who? Yeah, I don't know that one. You guys ever watch Twenty Four? Twenty Four has a young gun in it. It does have a young gun <laughs> in it. It's coming full circle. <laughs> anyway, he. Sorry, President Jordan. Palmer. What? Okay. <laughs> Anyways, so he. The general premise: uh, a group of. Pro- a group of professional bank robbers start to feel the heat <laughs> from police when they unknowingly leave a clue at their latest heist, while both sides attempt to find balance with their personal lives and their professional lives. Um, Can we talk about that so, byline for a second? Yeah. I, re- I read that too earlier, and I maybe I'm just stupid, but what is the, quote, single clue that they left behind? I don't really remember it like that. I had to, well, I had to think about body. it for a second too, but it's um, Robert Robert De Niro calling the guy slick. J- just the fact that he called someone slick. 
Well, that's how they. That's how Pacino makes the connection later on with like the gangsters that are talking about. They like say they call him Slick for a second. Were we gonna say Mikey? I said, was it gonna, was it all the dead bodies? <laughs> <laughs> Those are clues, raging clues. Double, double taps, man. I didn't hear the Slick thing. I must have missed that part. I thought that's what it was, but I I could be wrong. Stevie, what did you think about the the single clue at their latest? That was heist? the clue. That was kind of like kickstarted the whole investigation. Is when he they said Slick. And Al Pacino is telling like all the officers around. He's like, "Look up aliases as for Slick. You're gonna get a phone book like full of aliases mm-hmm, where Slick pops mm-hmm. up. Look through the whole thing." Mm-hmm. All this so is from a like clue. The, yeah, that's like <laughs> the a, Kickstarter clue. It's a clue from a guy that was just like hiding in a nearby building apparently when they're just popping cat. Uh, popping right, it's like something that cops. you'd never think would come of anything, but like in true like detective theory. Like, every clue is meaningful. No, no, no. It wasn't a guy in a nearby building, Jordan. That was a hobo with, like, a broken TV set. <laughs> was it? Yeah, they kept calling him, like, TV monitor yeah. guy or something. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, where was that TV hooked up to? He was in the middle of the street. <laughs> it made it no a- sense. Yeah. <laughs> How is he monitoring that TV in the middle of the street? <laughs> Yikes. Um. So... <laughs> Anyways, he it opens with a pretty intense uh, bank robbery scene. I kind of want to start off with that. It reminded me a, a little bit, or I guess Batman, uh, The Dark Knight, kind of reminds Ooh. me of this when it kind of smash opens with this huge robbery scene. It's pretty intricate. They're, they knock over a security truck, and they're doing all these things. Kind of what did you guys think about the opening and how it led into the movie? I thought it was a pretty awesome way to open up a movie. It was really intense. Uh, I'm glad you made the connection to Dark Knight, Joe. I didn't even think about that. Eerily similar. Well, this is actually Christopher no- one of Christopher Nolan's favorite movies, he said. So I think there's probably more yeah. to that than we even know. Yeah, probably. Um, there's this great feeling of like you have no idea what's going on and why anybody's doing the things they're doing, like, especially like when Val Kilmer gets that demolition thing. You know, They pick up Wayne Grow, and you're like, who's this guy? And you're just kind of... Um, Robert De Niro is kind of lurking in the background making moves and it just all comes together perfectly and it's just this really quick shot of just fluidity that I really enjoyed watching it also reminded me of Ma- a little bit of Mad Max but uh, yeah I thought it was an awesome way to start the movie why is that because of the practical stunts because the stunts because the masks they were wearing uh-huh. um, the way they would zoom up on the semi and kind of just the sounds are revolving around it uh that's why I got kind of got the connection to Mad Max. I think one of my favorite parts about it was it set up, um, it set up the bad guys, but especially Wayne Grow. I came out of that scene that that scene with just like a shiver down my spine about who that character was. Like right from the beginning, I knew he was like a huge douche, more than a douchebag. <laughs> he was like a huge liability and you did get a very uneasy feeling from him right from the get go. Yeah, even when they're talking in the car and then when he like pops pops that cop from like two feet away and kind of, you know they they cover it later. Al Pacino says something like as soon as they realized they shot one of the cops and they went from a whatever felony to a I don't know, if you kill a cop, that's like pretty much the worst crime you can commit. Isn't like capital murder? Yeah, so they went from like a felony to capital murder, and so at that point like there's no reason to leave any of them alive. So, mm-hmm. um, Wayne Grow really screws them over right from the get-go. Fuck with me. You wanna fuck with me?
Uh, I was gonna say all of the high scenes are like pretty awesome in this mo movie, but yeah, the uh, first one it is a lot like uh, the Dark Knight. There's a lot of I don't know, just the way it's shot, it looks very similar to like the scenes down in uh, the tunnel where they have that big semi truck and scene it's like, and stuff even, like it's that. It's even the same guy they're stealing from. The Van Zant, he's oh, like shit, the, the bank is. owner in the yeah. Dark Knight. Really? Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of people in this movie. Nice, man. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of ins, a lot of outs to this case as we open up the movie. Um, and Al Pacino kind of gets brought on the case. Uh, Detective Vincent Hanna, I believe his name is. Mm -hmm. And um, so he gets brought on, and they're just trying to connect the dots here. And this is kind of where we get into Pacino being kind of an eccentric, lawful, good, tortured cop. Um, I kind of want you guys to weigh in on this. Where, where, what are you thinking when Pacino is basically just being a huge asshole to start this? We kind of see him lighten up a little towards the end of the movie, but coming up, like coming off this opening uh, kind of segment, I'm not sure who we're supposed to be rooting for, whether it's De Niro or Pacino, and kind of those seem like the two kind of loggerheads here. Wasn't well, that kind of a question of the whole movie all the way through? Which one of those two guys you're quote rooting for? But as far as Al Pacino at the beginning, I think he's, I think they're really just setting the scene for him to be brash, large, and in charge sort of guy. And I think you're also supposed to glean that he's smart. I don't think you know everything about his work ethic quite yet, but he's obviously a sharp guy and uh, he has a sense of like uh, endearment almost towards the criminals in the first couple of um, scenes that he's looking at because he keeps talking about how how sharp these guys must be and how professional they it's are. It's like yeah, he's kind of like getting excited for the chase. He's like, this isn't just some normal, you know, random crew. These guys are probably gonna be like his big fish. He wants to catch. Yeah, I didn't think he was an asshole. I thought he was just like super confident and how good he is at his job. How would you guys compare? How because it kind of reminded me of Boondock Saints. With I thought so too. Willem Dafoe, like they use the classical music in his head, and he's kind of more eccentric. But I feel like they both had kind of that air to them, where everyone at the crime scene kind of like holds them in an esteem, and then they're also picking up things that no one else is catching. I don't know. Well, maybe I'm off base. Willem maybe Dafoe was more like Hannah, but yeah, I, I definitely appre I definitely appreciated Hannah's performance more. It was more realistic and less eccentric yeah. and. It just seemed like he had been there before and he knows kind of like what's going on, whereas Willem Dafoe's was just kind of eccentric to be eccentric. I agree with that. Well, you, also, you get that. Boondock Sorry, Saints is not that good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it, it, it has aged worse as I've gotten older. <laughs> Oof. Hot uh, take. I, I thought you kind of you got that comparison, too, because you get Pacino coming in and the the kind of head detective that's already there, he kind of explains kind of his theories on the whole thing, like the shooting positions and all this. And Pacino, the whole time he's like sort of listening to him, but he's like observing everything yep. around. He's like picking up on really tiny details. So I I picked up on that too, Josh. I liked the scene a little later, the detail that he picks up on, and he realizes that um, the criminals had set up a meeting just to pull the cops in to watch. And so... At that point, he is kind of eccentric when he's like turned around, looking off into the distance, kind of like clapping and smiling for the camera that he knows is somewhere out there. <laughs> yeah. You just got me. Yeah. 
Okay. Ha! Okay, motherfucker! <laughs> I thought that was good, too. Um, segment one, I guess, of this movie kind of moves on, and you get Detective Hannah, Hannah uh, kind of on their case. He's sort of putting the puzzle pieces together, and as Josh said, um, you, you get the... Um, the burglars, I guess, the thieves, they realize that the cops are kind of on their tail, but skinny Val Kilmer, uh, who is also a gambling addict. What, Josh? I'm just laughing because he's only skinny Val Kilmer. Every time you Skinny Val Kilmer uh, is a gambling addict, and he needs he needs another he needs one last heist so that he can get away with his uh, wife and young son i believe his young gun um, yeah his young gun indeed <laughs> the references begin um <laughs> so they're they're trying to pull off this one last heist uh it's more of just like a straight cash heist and so we kind of get that classic like ah like one more job and then we're all gonna like part ways and hopefully be safe from you know in quotes the life um this is kind of where yeah like act one kind of comes together um and then we kind of move into act two where we go from one more heist into kind of the the bank scene and i think there's there's some kind of subplots there what are the ones like the subplots that really caught your attention there's a couple with um with de niro there's one with uh pacino and his stepdaughter and wife um, and there's one with Skinny Val Kilmer and his wife and son. Were any of these uh, really speaking to you? I thought that some were kind of revealing and some were a little bit more uh, maybe, I don't know, too much perhaps. But uh, Stevie, how did you feel about these? I actually, I thought the subplots actually paid off because this is a this is a, pretty much a three-hour movie. And it kind of builds the sense of, you know, they're not just... Um, bank robbers detectives you know they're family men these guys are all all friends with each other and that's where it also kind of adds to the part of like who do i root for in this movie so i thought the subplots actually improved this movie quite a bit i gotta disagree this movie is way too long it's good (laughs) it's good but uh there yeah what you're saying about the subplots not everybody needs a subplot i think val kilmer's was interesting uh but de niro's with uh that that girl that he met, that just goes nowhere. That's It's so boring. It adds nothing to the story, I thought. It's hard to say that that adds nothing to the story when it's the reason he kind of gets caught at the end and it's a big point of what they talk about at the uh, coffee scene, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But I kind of fall in between in general between what Stevie and Mikey said. I mean, it did help bring these characters to life a little bit, but I got thrown under the bus last week for the movie Duck You Sucker having a <laughs> two hour and 36 minute runtime. And this movie is Docu-Saka. 21 minutes longer than Duck You Sucker. <laughs> and everyone seems so cool with it. So I'm glad you said something, Mikey. <laughs> it is longer, but it has way less three minute close ups on people's faces. <laughs> <laughs> So good callback. (laughs) It's hard for me to decide because I I like Pacino's kind of backstory. It kind of softens his hard edge detective style. But uh, Skinny Val Kilmer, it mainly just made me laugh because like you see him and his wife fighting, and then the next morning he wakes up on 
uh, Robert De Niro's floor, like in his flat. No, 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 like, no. Oh, like when he Robert De Niro mm-hmm. like crashed into his house where he was sleeping, like on the floor, I believe. Right. I, I think that was Robert wife. De Niro's house because yeah. Val Kilmer asked him, "Why don't you have any fucking chairs or anything?" <laughs> He's like, "Why don't you have any furniture?" <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and then, yeah, so Val Kilmer, it kind of made me laugh. And then De Niro's, it seems like it's mostly just a payoff because throughout the movie, as Josh mentioned, kind of he parrots this phrase that he heard from, uh, I think, kind of his mentor maybe uh, from earlier in his life, where he says, uh, "Don't make any attachments that you can't." sever basically in 30 seconds or less when you when you feel the heat coming around the corner you need to be able to walk away um and so i feel like the his love interest kind of was just a payoff to to be to for him to act that out in kind of the final phase of the movie um josh did you see something more in that or am i am i missing something i think it also gave the movie a way to have another female lead i would say of all the um, secondary characters as far as the significant others go she was the most prominent and mm. I was going to ask this question later but I might as well ask it now uh, her name's Edie she finds out that he's killed multiple people that day and robbed a bank and she's like <laughs> a grad student or something and he's like a 40 year old dude so it's already kind of weird but she like breaks down once she finds that out but then she like gets over it pretty quickly. What did you guys make of Real that? Real fast. <laughs> this is why I hated this subplot. It makes no sense at all. Why is she hanging out with this old guy? And then why is she just accepting the fact that he's murdered people and robbed banks? And she loves him, Mikey. I thought she was well, in her early 30s. They fall, they fall in love. Love after has no having, age, Mikey. After having one coffee or whatever. Well, first of all, the most romantic coffee scene in the movie is definitely between Pacino and De Niro, but we'll get to that later. It's the best. But you're going to stick around with this guy after two weeks and you know that he's at least killed one person and at least <laughs> robbed one bank. He's got though, man. He's got straight <laughs> cash, homie. She does have that college loan, loan coming up, so... I mean... That's he a good would point. have like four milli in his back pocket when he was like, yeah, I killed people, but I got a ton of money in my car. He's Let's like, go to New Zealand. Yeah, they're going to film The Hobbit there soon. <laughs> Sally Mae is calling. What'd you say, Mikey? Sally Mae is calling, uh. so I guess this, this subplot makes sense now. I mean, if my beautiful wife of one year was like, I may have robbed a bank today, some people may have gotten shot, but there's four million dollars in the back of my car, I'd be like, Phew. This is a low, this is a tough situation, but let's go to New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, I was thinking hard on this cause I initially thought it made no sense and I still kind of think that, but maybe, maybe she was just like helpless and the only choice she had was to go with him and that was easier. Maybe she was afraid and like Stockholm. So yeah, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. Kind of beating the beast situation there. That's our most watched or that's our most listened to <laughs> pod ever. Good, good drop. <laughs> Just narrowly in front of time bandits. Check that one out. But um, yeah, that subplot didn't make the most sense. If, like essentially, like, when he chased her down, like up the hill, and that was kind that of like the way of saying like yeah. everything's okay now. <laughs> yeah, she she calmed down after he gave her a strong hug on <laughs> on the side of a mountain At, against the but ground. Think about yeah. that. after he grabs her and doesn't let her escape, she comes around. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I, I thought that really what it, it almost made it the scene stick out more like the, some of the dramatic scenes had 
some pretty intense music. Like there's De Niro hooks up twice with this girl and has a, like a phone call. And when he leaves the girl, there's like some really like intense music in it. I think it's supposed to draw you into the scene, but it, it almost like drew me out. Like I'm, I'm kind of here for the bank heists and this is all just a side story. And there's like these long drawn out (laughs) scenes. There's one with like Pacino and his wife, like talking about his, his profession and all that. Like he's just trying to drink some whiskey and she's bothering him. And there's also, um, I don't know the guy's name, but the guy that's the chef that they get to be the driver for the last job when he's like talking to, I think it's his sister. When he gets out of jail, there's like some pretty intense music during that. And it's just like some really intense scenes and music and Donald. They, they end up just feeling really long. Donald is his name. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and since the movie took too long on the subplots, maybe we shouldn't take too long on the subplots either. And I, I want to go back to you're talking about the heist, and I think you may have skipped over the middle heist, which is when they're like drilling into something. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. This is when the cops are like fresh on their tail after doing lots of surveillance. And it was like some type of like metal factory. Was it metals? Val Kilmer's drilling and Robert De Niro is kind of doing, kind of just making checks, make sure like no one's lurking, kind of doing security. And that's when one of the cops who are hanging in the, like all the cops are hanging in this trailer, like doing surveillance. And one of the silly snipers bumps into the back <laughs> of the trailer and sets off a noise and it just spooks Robert De Niro because as like a professional criminal, he leaves nothing to chance. And they just bolt. And that's really kind of just when um, Al Pacino gets even hungrier to take these guys down. That was a cool thing. I liked how I was really wondering like, oh, they're like all going to be pissed off at Neil for calling it off based on a sound. But it basically cuts to them all talking about like, man, we're glad you called it off. And like, we just have to assume the cops are on us now. So like, here's our, Mm -hmm. here's plan A through C. So like, it really shows Neil's leadership and the sharpness that Pacino was leading to earlier, right? LAPD, gee, what? Where the fuck did this heat come from? Our problem is take the bank or split right now. Do not go home, do not pack, nothing. 30 seconds flat from now, we are gone on our separate ways. That's it. Yeah, because he did seven years in prison in his previous stint. You have to wonder, like, what happened like when he went away then? Did he leave something to chance? Yeah, I, I think that scene, especially when you... When uh, De Niro hears the noise, he's kind of lurking in the shadows, uh, working surveillance, and he hears the noise, and they've got him, since he's in the dark, they've got him on like a... Heat something Signature. Like a radar. Heat or, signature. Yeah, yeah heat, heat signature, indeed. <laughs> um, they've got him on a heat signature like machine, and you see his face like snap straight at the noise, and he's just like, he's staring them down, but you see it through the... Very cool shot. The heat sensor. Yeah, it's a pretty sick shot. And you see him, you can almost like see him like pondering as he like looks, um, looks like straight at their semi, their like the semi trailer that they're hanging out in before he like bolts back inside and tells skinny Val Kilmer, like, let's, let's get out of here. (laughs) Did you guys think that Pacino was going to like lose his shit on the guy who like got I was waiting for that, man. <laughs> I was the, so pumped for him to lose his shit. Guy? No, no, no. On the yeah. greasy guy? The guy who uh, like lost his cool... Or he got lackadaisical and like bumped against the side of the of the metal. His, yeah, because yeah. snipers wear glasses. Ooh, plot <laughs> hole. Got to put that on IMDb. Little bit of a plot hole. Hang on. He's not holding a sniper. It's like a... It's an assault rifle, I'm pretty sure, so... He's a sharpshooter of some sort. 
Eh. Mikey, did you think Al Pacino was going to lose his shit on that guy? Dude, Al Pacino was losing his shit this whole movie. He was hoo-ha and <laughs> all over the place. Hoo-ha! <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was great. He was top-notch Al Pacino. Uh, Robert De Niro wasn't like full Robert De Niro, but he was really good uh, in his role as like a seasoned thief or mm-hmm. a criminal. But uh, yeah, this scene I think shows just how good each of these people are at like their profession. And I think it kind of sets up the rest of the movie on like how they're trying to trying to trying to get these plans off uh, as smooth as possible because uh, you can see how much time and effort goes into it. Yeah. So we kind of move on and they they ditch out on that score and they kind of formulate a new plan. We get the scene as Josh kind of referenced earlier when the the thieves all kind of meet in the middle of is, Josh is it like a train yard um what what is like you, a shipping yard a shipping yard yeah um and so they're in a shipping yard and they kind of they meet for a second and then they disperse and the cops all kind of converge on that spot and they're trying to figure out what they're looking at and Pacino realizes that like oh they just did that to draw us out into the open so they can see like who we are and kind of do background on us mm-hmm. exactly you know what they're looking at what us. The LAPD. The police department. As we go forward, Pacino ends up trailing De Niro in a car. Everyone else has lost their tail, and uh, Pacino is tracking De Niro, ends up pulling him over, and asks him out for a cup of coffee. And we get kind of a an interesting diner scene. Josh, do you kind of want to set that up for us? Yeah, but I want to rewind. (laughs) (laughs) I think that this is not only the most romantic coffee date I've ever seen anyone asked on, but also the most expensive. Um, If you remember the scene, he starts off in a helicopter (laughs) looking at De Niro's car. He, he calls for a car to be, pulled up on a platform and he gets he lands and this whole movie al pacino is hopping in and out of helicopters and (laughs) he hops out of one jumps in a car and then the helicopter goes back up and he drives like 300 miles an hour to catch up to him endangering countless lives and the helicopter tells him when he's there pulls him over pacino doesn't care about endangering lives we'll touch on that later De Niro and Pacino both have their pistols like in their hands and he walks up to the car and says How you doing? What do you say I buy you a cup of coffee? Yeah, sure, let's go. Follow me. And <laughs> I was kind of taken aback at the extreme measures <laughs> that he went for. Yeah. <laughs> I was kind of shocked at the helicopter, where the helicopter thing was going because I had no clue what was going on there. So they go to this diner, and De Niro's character drops one of my favorite lines, I think, that he says in the whole movie, which is, I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. Trying to stop guys like me. And I think a lot of their conversation is kind of around this whole topic, but they also end up talking about like their dreams and nightmares and stuff. It's a pretty... It is intimate, like Josh says. Uh, Mikey, like, what did you make of this, them kind of measuring each other up here? Uh, this is like the most 
iconic scene in the movie, right? Uh, is what everybody remembers it for. Uh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. Uh, I don't. This would never happen in real life. They, no <laughs> way, the cop would do that. Uh, it did happen in would, real life, would, except it was at a laundromat. Yeah, this is this part of the movie was based on a true story, and I yeah. I think the guys that Pacino, you know, maybe what he told his fellow cops was like, "Hey, I'm gonna." I'm going to try to get this guy to rat out the rest of the crew and save himself and his whatever he's into. But I think that he knew that that was never going to happen. And he really just wanted to meet who this guy is, who he's been admiring his work of um, after a couple of heists. And I, I think he just wanted to meet him and literally just talk. So this is a true story or somewhat? Yeah. Uh, yeah, fill them in, Steve. You, you read about the chi- the story in Chicago that this, this was based was, off? A lot of this is based out of Chicago, not Los Angeles. And this happened in the 60s, um, except at a coffee shop. It was at a laundromat. What I do love about this coffee shop scene, though, is it's they kind of come to realize that they're like the same person. They're just hardwired a certain way where it's like, I'm going to rob banks and you can't stop me. And just like Al Pacino is just like, I'm going to take you down. You can't stop me. And he's like, I respect you and I don't want to kill you. But when it comes time, I definitely will. If it's between you and some poor bastard whose wife you're going to turn into a widow, brother, you are going down. And there's a quote from the actual police officer in Chicago where the criminal said back to him, and there's a flip side to that coin where I might have to eliminate you. And that's kind of verbatim what you hear in the coffee shop scene. There's a flip side to that coin. What if you do got me boxed in? Then I got to put you down. Because no matter what, you will not get in my way. And I think more than that, they both realize, I think they... The point of contact that kind of brings them together is Al Pacino admits to him how shitty his home life is and how (laughs) he's never at home with his wife. So he's on his third wife and that's about to go down the drain too. And Oh God, Al Pacino has the worst life ever living in a fucking mansion uh, with a hot wife and a daughter that's Natalie Portman. (laughs) Things could not be worse for him. He's melancholy, okay? You bring up Natalie Portman, and if we're talking about subplots, I gotta say hers is the most worthless. Yeah, hers is worthless. Worthless too. That goes. It's poor. (laughs) It's like it's shocking when she. Spoiler, you see her in a pool of her own blood, and a. That was super shocking. Yeah, but it has nothing to the movie. It it really doesn't. It's kind of way. It's another fifteen minutes of him driving to the hospital. it softens his edge. That's I feel like that's I think it was this kind of way of showing like how tirelessly Al Pacino was working on this case and how deep he was into it that he couldn't even keep track of his own daughter. Well, maybe his pill popping wife should have yeah. his hotel room. Should have done something about it. I agree with Mikey. Plus, I think they already the they already kind of show. The man's trying to catch bad guys, <laughs> and they already kind of showed that side of Al Pacino when he finds the prostitute that had gotten killed by Wayne Grow. And her mom comes out, and there's like kind of that moment where the, he's consoling her. I think that was super sad. I think that alone yeah. shows you that side of Al Pacino, and also when he's talking about his dreams and how he thinks of the dead people, and he obviously wants justice for all of them. Mm. I don't know if they needed Natalie Portman in a pool of blood. That's true. Agreed. We don't need it. <laughs> 
kind of as the move as the movie more moves forward, they they kind of leave the diner scene. I think another good quote from that is that uh, Detective Hannah says, "I don't." They're talking about kind of their lives, their lifestyles, and one is always trying to make the score. The other is trying to stop the guys making the score. And Detective Hannah says, "I don't know how to do anything else." Neil says, "Neither do I. I don't much want to either. Neither do I." So you never wanted a regular type life. The fuck is that? Barbecues and ball games. And so you kind of know that these guys are on a crash course the entire time, um, and that they're going to meet again. As we move forward, we kind of have um, them building up to their heists, and we finally get the one last heist. Um, it's in a bank. Uh, Mikey, do you want to kind of set up this one? Uh, yeah, so they all make it to this bank. Uh, they do their preparation to get into the bank, so they're shutting down security systems and stuff like that. They get in, they uh, knock out the security guards, put on their masks, and start demanding money. Then their plan is to grab the money and walk straight out the door through the plaza into the car that, uh, what do you say his name, Donald? Donald, yeah. The guy that they just recruited for that day who makes a terrible life decision in order to drive these thieves. Uh, He's their escape driver. And, uh, Val Kilmer walks so slow. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just taking his sweet time getting to the car. So they, they're getting out of the bank, and Pacino and his, uh, like his support are kind of closing in on them from both sides. Uh, they're calling in support units to block off kind of the streets around the bank, and Skinny Val Kilmer, his last... Kind of as he's walking super slow, he sees the cops come up on the other side of the street, and he ends up just like shooting off an entire round at them across the street. So the street is in panic, and we kind of get with this. I would say the first or second. Mo- I mean, the diner scene is pretty iconic, but this is another iconic scene. I think where we get this shootout scene that goes across several blocks in downtown LA. This is where some of it. I, I love the scene. But it's hard for me to kind of go back to 1995 and think about police tactics and then just like shooting up an entire street. Uh, Josh, you're a little bit older. Do you can you speak to some of that? Like as I feel like it's uh, pretty formulaic how police deal with things now. Do you think this this is accurate for the time? I do think it's accurate for the time only because I've heard of all the research that Michael Mann put into the tactics that his criminals employed. Um, I can't speak on like the police response that I think you're kind of re- alluding to, but I've heard that this scene and what the criminals do as far as shooting and evading and even reloading Val Kilmer, spe- skinny Val Kilmer specifically, like they show these videos to Marines and I think that's pretty crazy that the, why aren't the cops doing a better job and circling them? But I think, yeah, I think what Michael Mann was going for here was these are f- three or four guys with superior weapon power and they have assault, assault rifles versus pistols and shotguns. Plus they have, um, elevated maneuvering happening. So yeah, there, there was a cop that was shooting a shotgun from about 300 yards away, <laughs> hoping to hit Val Kilmer. <laughs> I had read that the uh, the group of three actors, so Pacino, or uh, sorry, De Niro and Skinny Val and... Uh, Tom Sizemore. 
Tom Sizemore, thanks, Josh, um, that they had done like th- three or four months of like firearms training to prep for this. So they would have like really accurate, like reloading skills on that. They were like really like covering their angles and covering each other as they kind of move down the street and try to evade the cops. I also had read that this is one that I've seen randomly online as like a, as a, uh, like an exemplar of like audio editing because Michael McMahon, he had, uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, Michael Mann, as as he was Michael editing, McMahon. <laughs> they they were editing and he had planned to go in and dub dub over like the sounds of their gunfire and stuff and he kept doing it and it was sounding weird and he just ended up going back and like their original blank round shots were so realistic and like the the editing or the capture was good enough that they kept all those and it's it's a super intense scene, and I think you really get drawn in on all that gunfire. Um, Stevie, what did you think of this scene? I love the build-up to it, because mm. you, the bank robbery itself, you're, you kind of have this timer in your head, because Al Pacino and his guys are going forth, and you're like, are these guys going to get away? Are they not going to get away? And the whole movie was you know, a collision course for Pacino and De Niro, and it was Val Kilmer was the last one walking out of the bank, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and you're... You know, Pacino's heading right to him, and Val Kilmer, right, he's probably 10 feet from the car, just drops the bag of money when he sees the cops, and it just starts opening fire. Well, that's my and favorite part. 50- I, th- I think he slow plays it for it was, a couple it steps, a, right? Cause it was such a buildup. He's like, yeah. he's smiling. He's just waiting. He's smiling, and I think he knows they're there, and he waits till like right till he gets to the car to kind of lean up against it to maybe steady his shot. That's That was maybe my and favorite the, part. There's a guy with a guy with like a terrible gambling habit i mean he was probably excited by the idea of you know showing his poker face go home and showing his poker face right there yeah and it's 15 to 20 minutes of absolute mayhem and it's beautiful to watch i love the shootout up up uh, up through the la blocks i feel like there was also a little bit of a a callback to uh tombstone at that point too where uh val kilmer still skinny there is every time he's about to get in a gunfight, he's always like smiling and stuff, and that's kind of his giveaway. Like this is this is his element, and like he knows he's a badass, um, and he's kind of like ready for anything. Um, I gotta say, ready to- Val Kilmer, skinny Val Kilmer, his performance I feel like is far better in Tombstone, and he seemed kind of. He also had more lines. He seemed kind of yeah. wooden and expressionless overall in this movie that kind of plays into the fact of like why his wife was sleeping around on him as well yeah he's kind of a douchey character but but he's also the only one that survives out of the group yeah what about danny trejo dies does he die danny trejo who plays the character trejo Yeah, he, he he dies too. He gets he bludgeoned die. by Wayne Grow. Remember he he asks uh, he asks De Niro to put him out of his misery towards the end of the movie. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a pretty brutal scene. Ugh. Please, Holmes, don't leave me like this. Fuck Wayne Grow. <laughs> Wayne grows the worst. He is. He. <laughs> so we kind of enter the final, kind of the final chase. I think is kind of the theme of the last, the last little segment of this movie. Um, and we get uh, 
Robert De Niro kind of running away from Pacino's character. He's trying to he's trying to get his exit plans via John Voight, um, who is another big name actor in this. He's trying to. <laughs> he's get only his, famous his exit for that plans. Seinfeld pencil thing, right? Yeah. Well, he he also bites Kramer. But yeah. <laughs> John Voight of Seinfeld fame. <laughs> he's in Zoolander too, I guess. <laughs> Um, but no, he, he kind of gets his exit plans. He, he goes to pick up his girl and convince her to kind of come with him to New Zealand. And then as he's on his way to the airport to get his, uh, his plane, he gets a call from John Voigt and he's like, Hey, Wayne Grow is at this hotel under the name Jameson. I don't, I don't think you probably care anymore, but just thought I ought to let you know. And De Niro's like, no, I don't care. And then he's pondering it. Oh, he cares. Fuck that. (laughs) Oh, he cares deeply. Because and so even though if you go back to Wayne Grow, I think you kind of forget about the scene though. But they tried to off him in a parking lot, and he kind of skips away from him because a patrol car happens to drive by. And Mm, I don't know if he was already a serial killer before he got involved with them, but he goes on this really nasty spree, and I would say he is one of the most hated characters that I've seen in a movie for a little while. So what were the cops offering him? Like, would he get like immunity for bringing down, uh, Robert De Niro's character? Cause like he was under the cops protection, wasn't he? No, he was under, uh, that Van Zant. He was working for Van Zant, and they, the cops were knew that and were just using him as bait to get the bigger fish. That's how I took it. At least. Okay. So he wouldn't get anything, but yeah, I mean, he was a serial killer. It was really gross. Yeah, he was pretty messed up. Yeah, I hate, I oh. hate that Wayne Grow. <laughs> he so yeah, uh, <laughs> De Niro. He's like, nah, I don't care. But then also, I do care. And so he diverts from his plan to exit the country <laughs> with his girl, and he goes to this. Uh, he goes to this hotel. He figures out a way to to find his room by like and. Uh, he acts as like room service and he, he finds his way up. Uh, he pulls the fire alarm, a classic, uh, <laughs> camp tactic to get everyone out of their rooms. Just a and, prank, and bro. Kinda, yeah. Just a prank. In the <laughs> Don't madness, haze me, bro. <laughs> in the madness, he's able to get the, like the paranoid Wayne grow to just barely open his door so he can kick it in on him and double tap him in the head. Uh, <laughs> it's it's pretty great comeuppance, Josh. Were you satisfied with your like most hated character just getting uh, off? Like I think this? so because he doesn't get shot in the head right away. I think he shoots him in like the the chest twice, and he kind of just looks at him and like lets it sink in for like five seconds, and then blasts him in the face. And he looks scared. Yeah, Wayne. He even says like, "Look at me." He says like, look "Yeah." At before me, he pulls me. it. Before he pulls the trigger the first time, he forces him to make eye contact, and that's that's pretty scary. Super scary. And I love that Wayne Grow had to go through it because he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me! Look at me! Look at me! Um, and then as he killed Trejo, man, his, played by Danny Trejo, Trejo. <laughs> bullshit. 
And as they killed his wife too, which is pretty. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> so as De Niro makes his way down through the hotel, um, his uh, Edie is her name. His love interest is waiting in a car, just like as everyone else is spilling out of the hotel, ambulances everywhere. She just like terrified, shaking, waiting in this in this car because she knows that she's waiting on a murderer so they can leave the country. And um, I'm a little bit confused about this. Pacino sees her waiting in a car from like a hundred yards away and just starts like sprinting at her basically somehow possibly knowing that De Niro is going to come and like get in that car too. Stevie, like what, what do you think about this? It was his common sense and kind of like his detective hunch coming in, coming in. Cause it's like, if everybody's running away, why is one person just sitting there and in the passenger seat of a running car? And, you know, he, you probably don't hear of many fire alarms going off in hotels. So he probably knows that, like, you know, Wayne Grow is at the hotel, fire alarms happening, people are running. Mm. There's a great chance that that's uh, Robert De Niro's car. His spidey senses were tingling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his spidey senses are right, because De Niro comes back down. As he's approaching the car, he sees uh, Pacino running kind of through the crowd with, I think he has a shotgun at this point. And he's like running through trying to get a clean shot. And De Niro, there's like a, a pretty dramatic scene where you kind of you see his his uh, motto kind of running through his mind where like you got to be able to ditch everything in 30 seconds when you see that heat coming and he gets the fuck out. Um, <laughs> he ends up running into a like an airport field, I guess. And this is kind of where the final chase sequence comes in. Josh, how are you feeling about this final this final sequence here? Um, as someone who loves video and cinematography, you got to know that like a tarmac landing strip for an airport is like <laughs> one of the best places to shoot anything. So I, just, I was glad when I saw De Niro sprinting for it. Wait, hang on. Sorry. Can you explain that a little bit? I, kn- I know I've seen a lot of tarmac scenes, but why is it just because it's all flat and there's like obstacles and stuff? I think because it's such a huge flat area. You can get just this like crazy depth of field happening. So it's kind of shown okay. um, on Instagram. We actually posted a picture, and you can see these lights with these just like ginormous. They're called bokas behind them, and they're probably just actually like pretty normal sized lights. But because they're so far away and so out of focus because of how far away they are, they just become like this big, like glow circle. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Yeah, 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 like, like the a halo orbs, thing. like the little orbs. Yeah, it produces yeah. a lot of orbs, and there's just like basically a lot of things you can do with focus and depth of field is why. And also, there's a lot of like, if you shoot like a day scene on a tarmac, a lot of like heat, that like heat mirage crap that happens oh, yeah. will come up. Anyway, I digress. De Niro <laughs> sprints for the tarmac for some reason. Um which kind of seems like folly as far as a way for him to actually escape because it's just a big flat surface with like no way out. Well, he is supposed so, to be waiting on like a, he is supposed to like catch a plane and I think he's trying to catch his plane at the right time, but he gets caught up with real quick. Pacino is apparently a, a champion sprinter because he catches Pacino in his prime. <laughs> and anyway, what I thought was interesting about this last scene and I've seen parts of movie, parts of this movie throughout my life i don't think i've ever seen the whole thing all the way through like i did this time when i watched it but i thought this part reminded me the most of a true western as far as 
when they're kind of waiting for those lights to blink on again and there's kind of like that draw moment. I thought it built great tension because, well, like the characters, I couldn't tell where each character was at in respect to each other. Mm. So at any moment, I was like, okay, if he comes around the corner, is he going to be waiting there? You know, is he going to be waiting waiting for him right here? Is going to be like a, you know, someone going to shoot first? What's going to happen? So I thought it built great tension. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that scene, it was cool. The buildup was cool. It's just that final scene where Pacino blows De Niro away, where De Niro's like flying back and the lights turn on. It just looks so bad. It just didn't <laughs> age very well. Like it's, it's clearly a, on a green screen or something and it's, just didn't look very good. But I, I thought, like, the lights coming on and off did build a lot of tension. So, like, the... Well, Money, I can tell you right now, it wasn't a green screen. It wasn't? Everything was shot on location. I'm, w- really? I'm with Mikey and thought... Why did it look so weird, yes, though? Something looked really weird in that scene. I don't know. I agree. But I will say that... It really took me out of the movie. That Just that last scene. But other than that, I thought it was cool. It, it's odd that it wasn't green screen because I that caught my eye too, Mikey, and I thought the same thing. But the, the way that Pacino actually kills De Niro is that he, so he kind of shoots, shoots blindly because he sees a shadow appear. And De Niro is kind of hoping that since he was right in his sight line with the light, that Pacino would be blinded by it. But instead, he saw his shadow and shot towards that. Did you guys buy that as a ploy to really hinge the entire movie on at the end i thought the end shooting was really strange because i mean robert de niro it looked like robert de niro had al pacino like dead to rights just like the way it looked on screen it's like okay he sees him first al pacino doesn't see him and you figure he'd shoot right away but he like paused i wasn't really satisfied with like the ending of robert de niro dying the way he did yeah i think it was de niro's fight to lose and i think he blew his chance I think he could have easily killed Pacino. Yeah. This is just this is just hitting my head and I had never thought of this till like right now while we're recording this pod, but do you think that De Niro maybe knew that even if he blasted Pacino where he was at and the situation he was in, he was gonna be caught and set back to that prison, so might as well let this guy who he respected and was similar to him get the upper hand? Is that a stretch? No, nah, man, he was like 10 minutes away from his flight. He yeah, I don't think so, man. <laughs> but wouldn't police call, like, TSA or, like, whoever's running the airport and say, hey, put this man's name on a no-flight risk? Dude, pre-9-11, anybody could have gotten on the plane. Ooh, and, like, yeah. They said, it, they said it was, like, a charter flight, too, so I think those <laughs> are, like, private. But I, I think it's interesting because, so he sees his shadow come out, and you, you do get kind of a pause from De Niro, um, but Pacino kind of he's pretty quick to like change his angle and shoot that way. I also think that for De Niro, he's, he talks several times about the heat coming around the corner and De Niro comes around the corner at Pacino and he's the one that kind of gets blasted away. And I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, kind of, they flip the script a little bit where he's coming around the corner and he ends up getting blasted away. Nice. Oh yeah. <laughs> his uh, De Niro's last words, I think are, I told you I'm I told like I told you I wasn't going back to that jail and everything kind of gets tamed down. We find out Well, they they Josh, share like a bro handshake thing too, which is also a bit odd. I 
that was the oddest part to me, I think. Well, I, I thought it made sense in that, like I talked about with the prostitute getting killed, Pacino kind of plays this role of accompanying the dead. I don't know how else to put that. And that's kind of just like one more iteration of it, I thought. So it kind of made sense. It's a little bit much how they're like, who's ah? And they like both hold hands. <laughs> but on I that- thought it was like Ooh, out of mutual respect of like yeah. one one bad guy, like one unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Like they're both like at the peak of their game and mm. they're just someone had to die. And just to add on that, they both of those characters were in the Marines previously and um, John Voight tells De Niro that Pacino had been in the Marines and like watch out for this cop. And so I just thought that Pacino was in the Marines, but actually reading IMDb later, I guess in one of the scenes with Edie, when De Niro has a shirt off, he has a certain tattoo that's indicative of also being in the Marines. So I think they had that in common and their lives are really mirror, mirror images of each other. Hmm. So I think we're kind of coming towards the end here and I kind of want to circle back to something I kind of brought up towards the beginning of the show. Um, Do you guys view... Al Pacino's character as like an eccentric cop? Is he a like a bad boy cop? Is he a lawful good? Is he a, like a tortured soul? Like what what do you guys think that he is? Like is he just a, a cop that is a little bit fiery? Um, like what as we kind of come to this ending part and you see him kind of have respect for the people that he's chasing down? What what is your opinion of him during uh, like as it develops throughout the movie? I mean, my opinion of Pacino throughout the whole movie was just that. He's a really good cop and he does weird things. Like he does blow up on like Hank Azaria and like, Oh, I heard she's got a big ass or something like that. Like he just screams in <laughs> Hank Azaria's face. <laughs> yeah. I just want to get mixed up with that bitch. Cause she got a great ass and you got your head all the way up it. Jesus. <laughs> Ferocious, aren't I? When I think of asses, woman's ass, something comes out of me. Like he's definitely out there, but but he you can tell from like the way he's ordering people around in that first that first heist that he knows his shit and that he knows he's up against professionals. So he's bringing his A game for this case. I just thought he was a really good cop. That's fair. Stevie, how about you? I think he was kind of a tortured soul because I think he has like great respect. Like, I think he has a little like, re- not would say great respect, but he has respect for the criminals and especially the ones that do it well. And I think it's like ran in his head before, like, man, I could, you know, I could be a criminal very easily, but it's kind of my duty as like the person I am to try to bring those people down. And he's kind of, I mean, he tirelessly hunts those guys down. So, and for uh, being a good guy, he has a worse life than De Niro. Like his, yeah, his in, personal life sucks. In most like movies like this, you root for the bad guy and you really don't like the cops. But by the end of the movie, you're rooting for Pacino. So I thought he did a really good job with the role. I think that maybe this is another way that Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight pulls from this and that he's the good guy, but he cannot keep his personal shit together at all because of his all-consuming, you know, want to track down the bad in the world. And they, like I said, they mentioned the military connection and I'm wondering if he 
had to have an outlet and like just basically normal civilian life wasn't really enough for Al Pacino's character. He needed to mm-hmm. be on kind of a different level. Yeah, I would agree. I, a lot of the, uh, like the different websites that you look at and the summaries and stuff describe the relationship with Al Pacino and De Niro as kind of a, a predator and prey type of thing where obviously the predator predator needs the prey um, to survive but without either one there's like an imbalance and so you kind of get both sides of that with this so like where if Pacino didn't have this like he would be a complete mess this is the only kind of part of his life that he has under control I think and I and I will say that even despite I I think Stevie's right and that you really are ultimately rooting for for Pacino but when you break down that end scene everyone's really going after De Niro the the entire police department is after De Niro and De Niro himself is trying to find Wayne Grow to kill a serial killer and you want yeah. you want that to happen so badly that I think that yeah. justice that he's putting out even though I think you want that to happen that badly. <laughs> I do hate Wayne Grow. But he's obviously the worst person he's in this movie. He's a, he's a sick fuck. He's a sick and fuck. He's a greasy dude. And as a, he's, he's the inciting incident of the whole movie, really. Yeah. Yeah. And as a viewer, like you want Wayne Grow to die way more than you want De Niro to die. So I think you are mm-hmm. they I think that's pretty clever on Michael Mann's part. Like you're rooting for Pacino and ultimately he's the ultimate force for good. But De Niro has this mission, and ultimately, that guy deserves to die a whole lot more than he does. I would, I would completely agree. Um, does anybody have any final kind of thoughts before we go into yes or no's? I have a question yeah. to pose. So this is a showdown between Pacino and De Niro. We've been blabbering on and on about them against each other as cop and robber. But as actors, who do you think came out on top? I think it was a tie. But if I mean, there are two really good actors in the prime who can act without speaking. They just shoot you a look and you know exactly, you know what I mean, where their kind of head is going. Uh, if I had to pick one, I enjoyed watching Robert De Niro's characters, his character more. Uh, I think he installed fear a little more in this movie. Uh, but yeah, if I had to pick one, I'd say Robert De Niro. I'd agree. De Niro's character is such a badass. And that scene, that final high scene when he's jumping on top of the countertops is really cool. I thought this was like one of his more like entertaining roles that I've seen him in, but it's not to take anything away from Pacino. Pacino was really good too. Yeah. They both did an amazing job with this movie. I, I actually went the other way. I, I, even though I couldn't quite decide where like Pacino, like where exactly, like where he was coming from, like what his motives were the entire time. I really thought that his, his performance was pretty consistent. Like he's pretty fiery and he's just kind of going off on people, but he's, he's like a, a man of focus, I guess. And he is, he's an intense guy. And I, I really, really liked him. I think more than maybe I've just seen De Niro in too many movies at this point, but I, <laughs> I, I really like Pacino in this. And I thought, I thought he really, uh, sh- shone through. Sean, 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 through. I think, Man, they're so close, and that's part of what makes this movie so good is how both of those guys are so much larger than life, and they're both in this movie, and they're both in Godfather 2, but never actually shared a screen time together. So this is their first time, and I wonder if the first moment was when actually Pacino is actually asking out <laughs> De Niro for coffee. <laughs> <laughs> 
But they're so close. I'd give it maybe a little edge to De Niro. He's just so he's so smart and good at like being a thief in this movie. He's he's like an action character, but he's like playing it so well. An action character, De Niro. I really do love the scene where they draw out all the cops into like the middle of the shipping yard, and then like they realize it too late. That's like it's so so smart, and like De Niro is obviously behind the whole thing. And he's like up on a water tower taking pictures from like a quarter mile away in the next scene. And it's, it's pretty epic. Like he's, he's such a smart guy. And I, I, both their characters are just like, they're clashing the entire movie. And it's, it's a great kind of, it's a, it's a one V one, but there's also like support groups as well. And I was going to say it's a classic game of cat and mouse, but they're both really cats in this situation. (laughs) They're both men of great focus because like Robert De Niro goes to great lengths to kill Van Zant, goes to great lengths to kill Wayne Rowe. I mean, they're both yeah, how you focus characters. And Al Pacino goes through great lengths to nab these guys. Obviously, helicopters, coffee shops, cars, shooting at shadows. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's get on to our yeses and nos. Um, I've got some trivia ready for after this, uh, Mikey. Let's start with you, man. What you got? Uh, I've never seen this movie before, but I was excited to watch it uh, just because I've heard good things about it. And I've also heard like some bad, I don't know about bad things, just like some not not so great reviews about it. I can see where those are coming from. It's a very long movie. I think uh, some of it could be cut out, some of those subplots. Uh, but overall, I thought it was really good. Um the bank high scenes are amazing. I think this is like the coolest role I've ever seen De Niro play, and he's played really great roles throughout his entire career. But this is yeah, he was in Meet the Fockers. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> legendary role yeah, of Meet the Little Fockers. Last Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Have you guys seen that graph of De Niro and like all of a sudden in like 2006 or something, the movies on Rotten Tomato ratings just like plummeted. Like he just didn't care what roles he took anymore after a certain age. So I call him the mailman. Mails it Good in on now. Him, man. Good Let's on get him. that paycheck. He deserves it. Uh, but anyways, I thought the movie was great, bar the final, the, just the final shot of De Niro like getting blasted away. Just took me out of the movie for a little bit. Um, but other than that, I give it a yes. Cool, Stevie. What about you? Uh, definite yes for me. I think this is my favorite role De Niro's ever done. It's not my favorite movie of his, which is um, Casino, but it's definitely my favorite role of his. Um, hot take here. I don't think it's that much of a hot take. It's probably the best um, like cop-robber movie there's ever going to be. Oof, careful. My computer's going to blow up. Hot takes. <laughs> I don't think that's much of a hot take. I mean, <laughs> if we can go back in time, but I can give The Town a no, I would, just because The Town is such a ripoff of heat it's not even funny really like who like whoever gave a yes to the town was like oh it's just like heat except it's in boston like that movie is terrible (laughs) uh but this is definite yes amazing acting the action scenes are top notch the length didn't bother me at all because i just i mean it felt short for a long movie so definite yes for me one of my favorite movies we've reviewed nice josh i think yeah this movie is a yes for me this is the first time i can remember watching it all the way through and I was kind of blown away. I thought it was going to be filled with cliches and kind of dopey cop moments, but it really wasn't. I really commend Michael Mann for meticulously researching and 
if if you look in and you read a little bit about how this movie was made by him, it's pretty amazing the intricacies he went through and the actors went through as far as interviewing criminals and cops and eating with them and dining with them and on and on and on. They really tried to get every single detail of this movie right. And what really perplexes me is that despite all that, they still named Danny Trejo's character Trejo. (laughs) (laughs) They... (laughs) I'm flabbergasted by that. I can't get over it. I I thought I heard it wrong when they said it the first time, but nope, that's his name. It's a yes for me. Is it, is it just serendipitous that that guy's name in real life was Trejo? They weren't even thinking of him. Yeah, right. I know the perfect man for this. I know the perfect man for this role, thought Michael Mann. His name is Danny Trejo. It's, it's a yes for me as well. Uh, I, I had seen this movie, I think probably when I was around 15 and I think it was too long to hold my attention. And I just didn't quite put the pieces together. Um, this time it was still a little bit long, but that's like really the only drawback. There's a great, uh, back and forth between these two great actors and Pacino and De Niro. And I think as we've kind of referenced, it really informs a lot of, a lot of the heist movies, good as in the dark Knight, and bad as in the town. Uh, a lot of heist movies that we've seen since then, um, it's super intense and I'd, I would recommend it to anybody especially for being made in 1995 and we're like it, it feels like it has the production value of something that was made I would say as recently as like it looks great still decade yeah yeah it, like, still it, it looks, looks really good yeah it, it looks awesome and so yeah it's a, it's a definite yes for me which I think makes it certified tasty or something like that certified What's our fresh phrase? Fresh. Not a ripoff of Rotten Tomatoes at all. It's going to trivia. Up. It's preserved. It's not fresh, guys. It's preserved. Oh, Pappy's not here to correct us. He's in Japan. So, welcome to trivia. This is our trivia section. Uh, I did not decide who was going to go first, so we're going to go in order of alphabetical by middle name. So, did you write trivia this week, or did? I didn't. I did not write it, but I have twenty questions, so it's Ooh, better than my oh one my question that I asked last time. <laughs> Overkill. <laughs> what? Come on. We'll play be- first to five. <laughs> I know Mikey's middle name is Eugene. What's Josh's? David. Stevie. Oh, last. I'm Stephen James. James. Okay. All right. So Stephen Josh King is up James. first. Yes. <sighs> And uh, this is all thanks to www.funtrivia.com. <laughs> we appreciate you your uh, your contribution. <laughs> um, so we're gonna Get play. We'll play first to. Uh, <laughs> we'll we play first to four. They're right in that same zone with Film Inc. <laughs> Film Inc. Film Thoughts. Did it cut? Uh, we're going to play first to four points. Uh, the way that this is going to work is, uh, so Josh is going to go first. The next person will get one chance to answer. And after that, the point is, uh, actually, no. Since they're not multiple choice, we'll go all the way through. So uh, for this one, Josh will get a, a chance. Mikey will get a chance. And then Stevie will get a chance. If no one gets it right, we'll just skip to the next one. If no one gets four, you guys suck. 
and we'll just go with whoever has the most points. So, Josh, you ready to go? Ready. Question one. What rap star appears in this movie? It's not Val Kilmer. It's not John Voight. Uh, he is one of the informants early in the movie. Uh, I, Stevie, I really have no idea. I'm going to guess just based on time frame. And I'm going to say Ice Cube. Wrong. Mikey. The, I don't know. Pass. Ooh, also wrong. Stevie. He was also an Ace Ventura pet detective. That would be Tone Loke. Indeed. Stevie, correct. One point. Good job. Well, well done. I... I did not recognize him until I saw his name later on. Um, next up, Mikey. What recurring dream does Detective Hannah tell Macaulay he has in the famous scene where they finally meet face to face? He's drowning. Incorrect. Ah, that's Macaulay's dream, uh, though. Good call. It is. Uh, Stevie, you're up after Mikey. Wouldn't Josh be up? Oh, no, he'd go up first. Yeah. Um, it was kind of hard for me to catch on this dream, but didn't he tell him like it was like all the faces of like the dead people he'd seen, except they're like balloons, like kind of like balloon like circular figures, and they can't speak. I will accept that answer. Yes. Uh, nice. A, yeah, he's in a room with dead people that have black eyes from eight ball hemorrhages. Um, Stevie, you're up two to zero to zero. Um. Nice. And it's his turn. And it's your turn. And it's his anniversary. <sighs> Everything's and, coming up, Steve. <laughs> Stevie is on fire. It's not going to end on this podcast. Let's go. Uh, Stevie, your question. How does Neil McCauley answer Edie when she asks, <laughs> what are you reading in the diner scene when they first meet? How does he respond? Uh, Yeah, what's his answer? Well, he said he kind of gives a line of like, "What the fuck is it to you what I'm reading?" But then after she sullenly, kind of after he realized he's offended her, he said he's reading a book about metals. That is all encompassing and right. Nice. Gosh, well really done. handing the <laughs> trivia to Stevie. <laughs> Don't you dare! <laughs> are you kidding me? These questions are fucking ridiculous. These are all intricate answers. Uh, Josh, you're up. Um, what kind of tattoo does Chirito have on his arm that is mentioned during the scene with Richard? What tattoo does Tom Sizemore's character have? I don't know. Uh, I'll guess a butterfly. That is incorrect. Uh, Mikey. Uh, I will also guess, uh, but I'm going to guess a snake. Incorrect. Stevie, remember the snake. Warriors blew a 3-1 lead. <laughs> Dude, why you got to say stuff like this? Uh <laughs> God, I just remember it was on his forearm, and I don't think it was... A, I'm going to say an eagle. Ah, so close to completing the sweep. Uh, it was a peacock. Um, <sighs> unfortunate. Car. In a three-hour movie, some things get lost. It is tough. Uh, sorry, Josh, that was yours, right? Yeah, that was my peacock of a question. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mikey, you're up. What is Van Zant watching when Macaulay throws the chair <laughs> through the plate glass window just before he kills him? Oh, he's watching hockey. Nice. Got it. Oh, I'm so excited. Solid. Stevie, what fake name is Wayne Grow using at the hotel when Macaulay kills him at the end of the movie? I believe it's named after a liquor that I fancy 
at a nice in Chicago, and I think it is Jameson. Ah, that's my daughter's name. That's my question. Jordan, come on. I was just going in order, man. I'm not rigging this shit. Stevie. <laughs> I rigged this for you. <laughs> Stevie did not blow a 3-0 lead. Stevie wins 4-1. <laughs> <to> <laughs> Stevie, congratulations. As you kind of think about... I'm so, I, haven't, I haven't reviewed a movie in forever. What was the last one I reviewed? Was it Grand Budapest? Was that the last one I did? Budapest. I think that was the last movie I did. Awesome. Nice. Cool. Congrats. Stevie, as you kind of think about your next choice, uh, Josh, do you want to play us out with our tags? Sure, I'll play us out with the ones that I know. Um, currently, you can still visit us on our website at podcastspoilers.com. Uh, our Twitter is spoilers underscore pod. You can call us on our hotline bling at 903-SPOILERS-07. 903-SPOIL-07. Yeah, yeah, 903. I, well, who really knows? <laughs> <laughs> and then also our Instagram which is probably our uh, hottest venue right now is podcast spoilers all one word podcast spoilers at instagram but most importantly if you're listening to us on itunes or even if you're not look us up on itunes just so you can rate us and boost us up we put a lot of work into these pods uh help us out give us a rating hopefully it's uh five stars cool nice uh Stevie, do you have something uh, chosen? Many people think we've already reviewed uh, Ridley Scott's classic, his best movie, which was Alien, which I am here to tell you it is not. The movie we'll be reviewing starred Tom Cruise and Tim Curry as the devil, actually, in the 1980s, much better than Time Bandit's movie called Legend. (laughs) It's one of my all-time favorites, and I can't wait to talk about is it. Is Will Smith in this? Will Smith is not <laughs> do I, in do, this. Were any dogs killed in filming of I Am Legend here? No, but a couple of unicorns were. It's a pretty cool wow. movie. <laughs> Boss babe. Thanks, everybody, for joining in. Uh, this was our episode and review of Heat. Uh, yeah, that's th- this was spoilers. Can you play the heat is on right now? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I will. (laughs) It's amazing. How did this movie not get nominated for an Oscar? Every movie that got nominated, including the winner, which was Braveheart, I would watch this over those movies. What was out that year? Braveheart, Apollo 13. I didn't realize Babe was nominated for Best Picture. Babe. Some pig. Heat is better than all of those movies.